Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro, and we are keeping score inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. We're preparing for the great worldwide comeback, some fits and starts, but it's more important than ever to look at the top three deal-making issues of the week. Three to one. Number three. Some pro athletes from China, UK, and more than two dozen other European countries no longer restricted from traveling to the U.S. The order, signed by Acting Secretary of Homeland Security Chad Wolf, said any alien whose entry would be in the national interest as determined by the Secretary of State, Secretary of Homeland Security, or their designees would be exempt from previous proclamations that barred travel to the U.S. from China, U.K., Spain, and 26 other countries. Professional sporting events provide much-needed economic benefits, but equally important, this says, they provided community surprise and national unity, Wolf wrote. In today's environment, Americans need their sports. It's time to reopen the economy. It's time we get our professional athletes back to work. The exception also includes the various leagues' essential staff, leadership, and dependents, as well as the athletes' family members. Leagues mentioned in the announcements included the PGA Tour and the LPGA, which have a significant number of members who reside outside the U.S. The PGA Tour, in fact, estimates that more than two dozen members currently reside outside the U.S., and that's number three. Number two, most sports fans say no real fan noise, no real problem. According to a recent Morning Consult poll, fully 40% of the self-identified sports fans believe artificial crowd noise would make the experience of watching live sports from an empty stadium on television less enjoyable. By contrast, 16% of the fans say they believe the addition of canned cheering would make telecasts more enjoyable. For broadcasters and sports properties, these attitudes might not translate into action. 59% of sports fans who offered an opinion on the question said they're just as likely to watch the games without crowds as they would be to watch events with fans in attendance. Frank Sapovitz, the former SVP of events for the NFL, who now runs fast traffic events, told the L.A. Times that simulated crowd noise was debatable. Could you do that? Yeah, it's the right thing. I don't know. He said, every camera shot going to show an empty stadium. So what's the point in that? I think it makes it inauthentic. The one thing American football is, is it's authentic, says Frank. And that's number two. Finally, number one. June's upon us, and the great sports regathering is just beginning. Last month and last week marked a significant milestone in the world's slow return to some semblance of normal in the days of the COVID-19 pandemic. Most of the Western world's major sports leagues announced target dates for their return, led by the most prominent European soccer leagues. The English Premier League is targeting June 17 for its return to play planning 92 matches over roughly six weeks, with players tested twice a week and games played without fans, and at least one match played every day. The BBC is set to show four games live, free-to-air on TV for the Premier League and Spain's La Liga on June 11, the same day the PGA Tour resumes in the U.S., and Italy's Serie A resumes June 20, with Juventus winners of the last eight league titles atop the standings with 12 matches remaining. 
Soccer is the world's most popular sport, as we know. So watching its return through the lens of various leagues, countries, and cultures, all of which have been uniquely impacted by COVID-19, should be illuminating for sports fans, media, and other global leagues to follow. And that's number one. Well, number one also impacts a return and sponsorship critical, all told, we understand the impact. In fact, a month ago, IEG estimated $10 billion in sponsorship value in the U.S. would need to be made up due to the sports and entertainment shutdown. 20,000 sports and entertainment properties have canceled, postponed events, temporarily closed. 120,000 active sponsorship agreements. And that was a month ago. It's even more today. Global sponsorship spending declines by about $17 billion in 2020. 37% worldwide spending decrease, according to Two Circles Consulting Firm, from $17 billion from $46 billion. Obviously, the $29 billion left reflects $17 billion or so. Nobody knows how to make up. Cuts in spending promoted both by negative business results and unprecedented sponsorship agreements and negotiations, rebates and make goods that sports properties will have to cover to issue dollars and make people whole. One entity that is more interested than most in the worldwide sponsorship reduction and reconfiguration, MasterCard, they're spending more on athletes, on events, on leagues, on teams, than pretty much everybody else. And the guy in control of that switch, Mike Robichaud, who's been involved with the company in addition to a number of other diverse roles, has the enviable, maybe unenviable role of of getting MasterCard out of the wilderness. He gave us some perspective before the pandemic really hit. His takeaways are even more vital today. Mike Robichaud. Mike Robichaud, the Senior VP of Global Sponsorship at MasterCard. The title doesn't get any better. Oh, it's pretty good. The other title is The Job That Everybody in the Industry Wants, right? So elevator speech of what your day is like, what your portfolio looks like. Um, yep, global. So we're doing a lot internationally, which is great. Um, the business has, MasterCard's business has really grown globally the last 10 plus years. Um, U.S. has grown, but global just growing so much faster. So for us, our number one thing is UEFA Champions League. Um, which is just growing every day, Asia, Latin America. I mean, it's, it truly is a, a global property. Really trying to diversify, make sure we're hitting and touching as many audiences as possible. Which was difficult before, but now it's almost impossible. The diversification of not only media platforms, but demographics yep. is a challenge you have to deal with every day. It is, and it, but it's also exciting, right? So you can decide, hey, this is an audience we need, we want to, you know, have more of a relationship with. What are what are their passions? How is it you can connect with them? Uh, I think the role of the ambassador has changed so much because through that social media, what, like ambassador, influencer, whatever you want to call them, people, uh, people that are on social media that are, have built and cultivated an audience, that's a huge way for us to go through that. What are you influencing them to do? Obviously, you're influencing them to use your card, right. but you're also influencing them to do good. Absolutely. I mean, one of the great things about what MasterCard's done and, and when our uh, when we went public and brought in our new CEO, Ajay Bong at the time, new, 10 years ago, um, that, that's that been a huge mission, you know, doing well by doing good and uh, using using what our business is, which is obviously in the financial space and financial inclusion and making sure everyone in the world has an opportunity to basically be connected to the global economy. Because if you don't have a card, if you don't have if you don't have a bank account, if you don't have some sort of financial relationship, it's just it's just hard to be part of the world. And when you look at buying online, it's simple things like that, 
um, an identity card. All those things that bring people into that fold, and it's been exciting to be a part of that. I've seen and memorized your prolific 400-page resume, and so I see brand values all the time. Give me a quick, concise definition of what the core brand value of MasterCard is. We want to make all transactions safe, secure. We want to be make sure that there's an inclusive world, and inclusion can be whether it's financial, um, you know, gender. All basically, nobody should be left behind in any fashion. So that's a huge part of what our brand stands for. And obviously, the implementation of it is not just traditional consumer awareness, but this whole CSR and corporate responsibility as well. With you impacting so many teams and leagues and rights and and, and aspirations, uh, how do you see? the power of sports generally in impacting people's lives? Sports is still one of the number one, if not the number one way to, to influence culture. I mean, it's people still around the world for the most part have an opportunity to spend whatever time or money they have on things they love. And they love sports. It gets people together. We all know thousands of stories of how it breaks down so many different barriers uh, of, of, of conflict, of, of whatever there, there might be. So it's, it's a great gathering place for folks. And it's a great place for people to... You know, take a break from life, share their passion, share some kind of connector, whether they live in the same city, grew up on the same fan base, whatever it might be. So you have then an opportunity to deliver a message through that. And you have an opportunity to make sure people understand whether it's no racism or um, taking care of the environment or uh, just just being a good you know citizen of the world. That's an opportunity to have that message delivered through that platform. Or all of the above. And so part of the bottom line, I think, years ago, is that ROI and philanthropy were arguably parallel tracks and didn't intersect as much. Today, it's quite the opposite. Talk about that. Absolutely. In fact, I even think that the Business Roundtable came out with that the, a couple weeks ago talking about that it's no longer, uh, that, that the return on investment or, or return of the stockholder is no longer the number one or only thing for a company, that a company like ours and a public-private partnership with governments around the world have an obligation. And and I we see it as an opportunity. It's great that because it can't just be one side, right? So we need each side to understand, hey, we should partner on this. And what does partnership mean? It means, you know, the government allowing us and giving us access to to do certain things with the community uh, and the same stuff. We would step up and develop new products. Uh, we've put our MasterCard labs into certain countries to specifically develop products for those communities and countries that deal with their specific problems. So it's really that partnership and saying that this is a problem. How can we work together and do it? I know it's case by case, but from a 30,000-foot kind of leverage perspective, uh, do you come up with the programs and use your uh, buying power and resources to influence teams, leagues, public sectors to go along with it? Is it the other way around? Generally, how does that all work? I think for the most part, most of the big ones at least have some eye on it, right? Any any major sport around the world or any major group has some eye they know they need to participate, right? So I think what they do like and look to is a brand like us to come in and say, this is what we're doing. Um, something like Major League Baseball, a huge initiative for us is Girls for Tech and STEM. So we went and Major League Baseball's got a, a similar program. So we actually put our curriculum into their activities. So they're creating the, 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 the audience. They're creating the programs all, through all of their their uh, community outreach, and we bring in our curriculum. to, And then we've brought in some fun things. So uh, we have the player escorts of the all-star game that are all girls that have participated in Girls for Tech. So trying to find those things that are, that are common to connect. All right. Specifically, let's talk about a couple of programs, your Sport Integrity Global Alliance. What is it and why is it important? Yes, it's hugely important. So it's based, um, it is a global initiative. It started in Europe, and it's got four main pillars. It's got um, good governance, financial transparency, 
protection of youth and um, sports betting. So it's looking at all those four pillars through this notion of where these things need to be uh, addressed and, and done basically in a proper way such that sport can have that, what we all know to be fair play, um, a, a legitimate competition that's not being tainted or having any of these other problems. Certainly in the U.S., I think the, the tone or the focus needs to be a little bit more on protection of youth. We unfortunately know the, the terrible stories that have happened the last few years. So how can those be cor- corrected and, and made sure that in the future they don't happen again? And then sports betting, probably not a bigger topic that we could talk about as the sports betting is coming into the U.S. You know, fairly common in other parts of the world, but how's that going to impact here? So this, uh, this opportunity with SEGA is, is to really, the, one of the things I love about it too, it's very positive. It's very positive and it's, it's forward thinking. It's not about looking back in the past and, and getting the right people to the table to, to solve these things. Start something, start something priceless campaign. Yeah. What's it about and, and is it working? It's definitely working. The, the key thing for if you look at the history of priceless, it used to be uh, MasterCard telling the world what we think is priceless. And, and we did it like entertaining and fun and emotional ways. Now we're trying to you know, bring everyone into the conversation and say, uh, what, is it, what is it you think is priceless? And, and especially we have this, this kind of world now that says, I want to make an impact. I want to have something that, that I do that I, you know, small, big, whatever. So I want to start, this is priceless to me and I want to start it um, and I want to bring others with me. So we kind of want to create that, that kind of open space instead of us telling the world what's priceless, letting the world sort of kind of do it themselves. And my, with our support. With your support. Yeah. But my novice interpretation of the transformation of that campaign is it's gone from I want a Volkswagen with silver hubcaps right. to I want to do something to save the world and make the world better. Right. And, and it could be, you know, we've had so many fun stories. It could be, you know, celebrating a grandmother who, who, who basically raised her entire family and sacrificed her, almost her whole life just for all these people. And then when you realize as a grandmother has all these, you know, the family grows, how is it that family can turn around and celebrate that? And so what that did is it shined a light on all the all the families like that. And then you have other places, yes, in the community. And, you know, look, it's easy to think of the big ones that everyone's trying to solve, but those are big problems. We also try to shine those light on, you know, young female entrepreneurs that are, that are employing two or three people and, and getting a new business going. That needs to be celebrated and, 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 and copied and, and, and championed around the world. We've had presidents who talked about 20,000 points of light, and right. that, that, that's been forgotten. But here's a, here's a resurrection. Absolutely. And, and again, you know, by allowing it, you know, we are all over the world, and cultures you know, are so vastly different in how things are rolled out and, and what's new and what's, what communities are trying to, to, to kind of express themselves. So us trying to go in and, and having our local folks understand that, and again, not coming down from, from sort of a, a, an ivory tower, but having our local folks nurture these conversations and nurture these opportunities. Highly visible, incredibly moving, stand up to cancer. Talk about it. Yes, so it's a great partnership that started with Major League Baseball, and good for them. They were the ones that that were the first ones to step up and understand the power of what this could be. What's amazing about the stand-up to cancer, everyone looks at it from a celebrity point of view and all the kind of that star power that's been brought to it. But the, the notion of it is breaking down barriers and getting, you know, the medical community to stop looking at things the old way and competing. And the only way you get money from stand-up to cancer is you have to share and cooperate and getting... You know, just like anything else in the world, there's competitors, right? But get those competitors say, no, hold on, we're, we're going to work together and do this. Um, that's what I think has been unbelievable. And the, as that's grown around the world, because it's such, who, who, who wouldn't want to support that? Who wouldn't want, and it doesn't tackle any one specific thing at that point. It's really just tackling that culture of, of getting that medical community thinking differently. And um, it's been great to see. Um, anecdotally, it, it's beyond reproach. 
you have any any metrics you can share on the success of Stand Up to Cancer? I mean, it's raised a significant amount of money. It has. Clearly. It's raised a ton of money. You've got um, you, you've got so many people now again thinking about it because again, if you think about folks, everything's so personal, right? So if you start talking about something as terrible as cancer, well, why aren't you talking about this disease or why aren't you talking about this part of it? So this is kind of kind of stayed away from that a little bit by just kind of that whole notion of all cancers need to be solved. Uh, for us, it's resonated great with with moms in the U.S. And if you look at our Kind of from my job and what I do from a sponsorship point of view, historically a lot of our stuff's been very male-focused, baseball, golf. So having another voice and another way to talk to moms around uh, around the U.S. and say, look, this is another thing MasterCard's doing. It's not all about you know just people playing sports. This is another thing that we take very seriously. It's important, and you know I don't have numbers for that per se, but it, it, it's resonating with a, with an audience that historically we might not have resonated with. One of the things that uh, doesn't take a backseat, but historically, it's just a while ago. So 16 years ago, you cut the Nextel deal with, with yeah. NASCAR, yeah. And, and you were the youngest. So you're what? You're 34 now, so you mm-hmm. cut that when exactly. you were 18. Exactly. Some, some, no, he's not, exactly. but some similar to that. Yeah. If you look back on your career post that, mm-hmm. did you ever think that you would grow into, that this would grow into what it's grown into as far as what MasterCard's doing? You're too tremendous. Uh, I, no, I definitely didn't. I mean, there, there's so many things that had come together uh, to, to have that happen and, and what I've done. But joining MasterCard, I really did it because I want to be part of Priceless and I want to be part of a global business. And that's kind of about the, the two big thoughts I had when I was fortunate enough to, and to see what we've become and see what our company's trying to do and the employees that we're diversifying with and the geographies that we're going into and the, and the different things we're doing through technology. I'm never smart enough to think I could do that or be part of that. Well, here's another question that you're never going to be smart enough answering. Five years from now, Crystal Ball, mm. what's the world look like, and how does Mastercard get in the what? How's Mastercard in the middle of it? Um, well, I think you know one of the things we talked about is you know we still call it social media, right? I think now it's just media, right? right? You know, where, wherever there's media, there's media. I think that's one thing. I do think now is a phenomenal time for women in sports. Um, it's it's had its chances in the past and 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 hasn't kind of kept kept that momentum going. I do think there's enough momentum. There's enough other people that are saying, you know what, this is an initiative, whether you look at soccer in Europe or owners that are saying, no, this is the time and we want to be part of it. Um, the fact that you can have these great stories shared and people know more personalities, the fact that you've got boys now wearing the jersey of a female player, these are just cultural things that just didn't happen before. You know, It's great that would, someone would win, but then it would kind of go away. I do think five years from now you're going to uh, absolutely see a different landscape from uh, maybe it won't be where we want it to be from kind of an equality point of view, but it'll certainly be much more kind of common to be talking about female sports in the same tone as male sports. MasterCard in good hands and the sports marketing business in good thank hands. You. Mike, thank Appreciate you very it. much. Thanks. Appreciate it. Mike Robichaud had a difficult job to align and return and evolve, but certainly now the industry will look to his leadership as well as a few other companies, a small handful, to see how quickly what they do and the reconfiguration. It is very clear that companies have said that they will make some significant changes. In fact, one of the things that's very important, according to the IEG survey we talked about before, 79% of sponsors are going to approach their marketing mix differently. 60% will change sponsorship structures and sales. Mike has his hands full. Let's look at the top tech minute this week to spotlight entities. First, the coaching and mentoring platform Famer. According to Variety, the company will enable the athletes and their trainers to share custom training videos with kids and their parents for free. Users are also able to upload their own videos and receive 
direct feedback from players, youth camps and clinics reduced drastically for the summer, the virtual context is even more important as athletes continue to find a way to improve. 100,000 clients by the fall, says the company, and clearly much deserved, a significant alternative to staying home while camps are canceled. And then sharing the spotlight is digital sports media company Team Whistle. They snap up Tiny Horse in a $30 million deal. They claim their weekly network viewership is up more than 50%, 4.2 billion global videos per month. And Tiny Horse is Whistle's third acquisition in the last 15 months. Originally known as Whistle Sports, they bought Discovery back digital studio new form in 2019. The OTT channels across social media, again, a good example of the pandemic and how it hurts some, but helps a significant number of others, especially those who provide content to be watched. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Finally, the power of Sports Minute, and again, not one example, but a broad spectrum of commitments across sports. Live music returns to California for a cause. The events help provide meals for people. Local media, San Diego, San Diego Padres, Westwood Entertainment. But it's happening at Petco Park. Sunset performances by a number of key industry musicians feed the need drive-in concerts, the first of many. Dolphins doing some of this stuff, and clearly the Power of Sports 5 flags people in San Diego. Immortals Gaming Club and Philadelphia Street Gamers partnered to produce online esports summer camps. Just like we talked about in our Sports Tech Minute, the summer camps become very, very important. Chase Elliott beats Kyle Busch to win $100,000 from COVID-19 relief. Maya Moore, Jason and Devin McCourty, Nelson Cruz, Kevin Love, and others up for the Muhammad Ali Awards at the ESPYs, all related to help during these unprecedented times. And that's your Power Sports Minute. Much has changed, much has not, but we'd like to thank all of our folks, Mike Robichaud and others, for giving us invaluable perspective as we continue to move forward and keeping score next week, the week after, as we get to the back end of this, hopefully, the $1.3 trillion business of sports continues to move as we continue to keep score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.